0: Hello, thank you for visiting the podcast of the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you haven't already, feel free to visit our audio archive at vineyardcampbellsville.org or subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. And now here is this week's message brought to you by Senior Pastor Adam Russell. All right, hey. This is the third week of Advent. This is Advent joy. If you want to open up your Bibles to the book of Isaiah, we're going to look at chapter 12. We're going to look at all of it. Every single verse. Here's the good news. It's pretty short. But it's loaded. Let's read it and then, uh, then we'll talk about some stuff. It says this in Isaiah 12. In that day you will sing. I will praise you, O Lord. You were angry with me. But not anymore. Now you comfort me. See, God has come to save me. I will trust in him and not be afraid. The Lord God is my strength and my song. He has given me victory. With joy, you will drink deeply from the fountain of salvation. In that wonderful day, you will sing. Thank the Lord. Praise his name. Tell the nations what he has done. Let them know how mighty he is. Sing to the Lord, for He has done wonderful things. Make known His praise all around the world. Let all the people of Jerusalem shout His praise with joy, for great is the Holy One of Israel who lives among you. That's our text this morning. This is the third week of Advent. It's the week of joy. It's the reason we lit the pink candle here this morning. And in Advent, this is the season leading up to Christmas, Where we wait on God. That's what Advent means. Advent is a Latin word and it means waiting. One of the things we've been remarking on the last few weeks is this. That it's one of the most spiritual things you can do. Waiting is one of the spiritual things that all Christians do all around the world. It's one of the things that the church has been doing for thousands of years. And so just like Israel waited for Jesus to show up. Just like Israel waited for the Messiah to come. Now the church waits for Jesus to return. So this is what it means to be a Christian. We're just, we're waiting on God. But it, but it doesn't mean that we, that we wait without joy. So we're, we're coming and we're waiting on God and we're waiting for Him <clears throat> to initiate essentially a brand new day. And that's, that's the sort of thing that Jesus has done. He's already initiated a brand new day, but we're waiting on Him to come again and to initiate that day that, that literally has no, no night. This is what it talks about in Revelation. It's one of the reasons I wanted to read out of the back of the book this morning. There at the end, one of the things that John sees in heaven is he sees that there's a city and it's a city where it's always day. And it's always day because the lamb himself is the light of that city. We're waiting on that day when there will be no more night. When every single tear is dried from every single crying eye. When the dawn of all of our sorrows gets laid to rest and we get to see the new day of God. And we get to, we get to enter into the celebration that's going to end all celebrations. See, here's the thing, church. It's going to be a really good day. Here's how I know that. I know that because when God comes around celebration is never far behind. And when God comes around, you can be sure that dinner is going to be prepared. And when God comes around, there's always going to be singing and laughing. And when God comes around, there's not just going to be singing and dancing and laughing, but it's going to be side-splitting laughter. Now, here's the reason I have to I have to say this and say it with some force. Um, I don't know if you're aware of this, but some people uh, say things like this. Well, you know, it's just it's just getting worse and worse. Right? Don't people say this? Well, you know... Everything's just getting worse and worse. It's getting darker and darker. It's, getting, it's, just, it's all going to hell in a handbasket. The whole world's going to hell in a handbasket. Do you know who says these things, by the way? Church people. That's who says this stuff. You almost never will hear an unbeliever say, well, you know, it's just getting worse. Everything's going to hell in a handbasket. It's going to get darker and darker. It's going to get more and more pathetic. You'll almost always hear Christians talk like this. Almost always. And here's what I want to say about that. First off, make no mistake, there are some dark days. Let's don't live in denial land. There are some dark days and some of them are here. Not only that, some of us in the room right now are in the middle of some real struggle and despair. Like if we're honest, some of us here are in the middle of some trials. Not only that, but some of us in this room are sick and we're hurting. And some of us here are battling our own darkness and demons. And if we're really honest, we'd have to also say that it's not just here, and it's not just in us, but that it's, that it's, it's in the world. There's, there's plenty of trouble to go around. Every bit of that's true. We don't have to be denial people. All of that's true. One of the things I love about being a Christian is this, is that you don't have to sugarcoat anything. The Bible doesn't invite anyone to sugarcoat anything. Have you ever noticed that just the Bible text in general, that it's an unflinching document? It's an unfinish, unflinching document. It doesn't sugarcoat anyone's life. So when David sins, it tells you exactly how David sins. doesn't pull away from it. doesn't sugarcoat it. Yeah. It's one of the great things about being Christians. We don't have to be deniers of who we really are and what the world really is. So on the one hand, we have you know, these people who are just like, well, you know, it's all getting worse. It's, it's going to be terrible. It's black as night. And on the other hand, they're not totally wrong. There's some stuff that is really screwed up in the world. And if we're super honest, we'd have to admit that there's some stuff that's screwed up in me. But here's a little secret. Here's a little secret. It's not the most true thing that there is. It's not the most true thing that there is. Uh, Let me say it this way. Not all truth is created equal. Let me say it this way. Even the highest mountain ranges have a few peaks that reach a little higher. Such is the case with our own hearts. Such is the case with our own world and what God is doing. See, acknowledging the pain and difficulty of our own existence doesn't detract from the even greater truth that there's a party on the calendar. And it will eclipse every rotten and despicable thing in life so much so that eventually we'll scarcely remember that we ever had trouble. So you don't have to deny it. The truth is there are some things in the world that are not Okay. And the truth is there are some things that are not okay in my life and in your life. The Bible doesn't ask us to deny it, but it can never have first place. The greater truth is that there is a king and there is a kingdom. It is here and it is coming and there is a party on the calendar that will not, that will not be put off. And it's going to be so good that it will literally eclipse every rotten thing to the point that you and I will scarcely remember it let me say it this way uh, no one goes into the wilderness and then charts the course based upon the third or fourth highest mountain no one allows the third or fourth highest mountain to be the main navigating landmark when you're out in the wilderness likewise when you go to manhattan when you go to manhattan it's a sea of tall buildings This summer, I took my oldest son to Manhattan. We ran around. We listened to great music. We went to cool art museums and we ate great food. That's what we did. And we were in lower Manhattan, which is sort of like the financial district. And I got turned around because we were trying to find this one place we wanted to go eat. I got turned around just for a minute. And you know what I didn't do? I didn't find my way. I didn't find my way by looking at one of the impressive but somewhat smaller apartment buildings that are on the south end Of Soho leading into the financial district. I didn't do that. You know what I did do? I charted our course by looking at the Freedom Tower. Why? Because it's the tallest one. And I know where it is on my Google map. And I could find my way. That's what you do. And so it is this way in our own lives. Your pain is real. My pain is real. Your hurts are valid. And the world's dysfunction is not a lie. But it's not the North Star. It's not the Freedom Tower. And it's not the Mount Everest of truth. The highest peak is this God has come. He's come in Jesus. It was a party, and it's going to be an unbelievable party. That's the North Star. How many of y'all know that when Jesus showed up, it was a party? It's a party. It was a total party. Everybody was invited, but all the wrong people showed up. That's how God's kingdom works. And then when Jesus started his ministry, total party. Water to wine for nobody's in Cana land. Few loaves and a few fishes become a feast for everybody. A lame man gets lowered through the ceiling. Y'all know that story? Mark chapter 2? Lame God gets lowered through a ceiling. How did they get him through the ceiling? They tore a hole in the roof. Imagine this at your house, Right? They tore a hole in the roof because they couldn't get him any other way. The crowd was so thick. They lower him in. Lame guy comes through the ceiling onto the floor, and he walks out the front door. It's a total party. Jesus just put a skylight in this guy's house. I always think about that Mark passage. I'm like, Jesus didn't even offer to pay for it. (laughs) It's like, you owe this guy an apology. Jesus shows up and he ends up paying his taxes with coins that come out of fish's mouths. I want that program. You got short Zacchaeus up a tree, right? He ends up being the biggest host in town. And I love that story, by the way, because essentially what's happening is this. Jesus invites you to your house with him. It's hysterical. Apparently he thinks he's God. Zacchaeus, I'd like you to have me over. Then you have dead Lazarus out of the grave, dressed for Halloween. I mean, he was. He would have been scary, right? And then finally, you have dead Jesus, raised and ever living. By the way, Lazarus died again. Poor guy. (laughs) Right? Two times around that. Somebody owes him an apology. (laughs) Yeah. Sometimes we throw that word resurrection around a little too loosely. There's only one guy who's ever been resurrected at this point. It's Jesus. He was resurrected. He lives forevermore. Raz- Lazarus was raised from the dead for a little while. He had a second trip. <laughs> but it was a total party. When God showed up, it was a total party. Few loaves, few fishes. Everybody eats. Taxes paid out of coins from a fish's mouth. Dead Lazarus, straight out of the ground. Jesus, raised up. See, here's the story I'm trying to tell. Your pain's real, my pain's real, but so is God's intervention. That's the more real thing. The more real thing, and the thing that's going to last, is that God is saving us. There's always another peak. So, here's what I'd like to say this morning. Church, joy has come. Like, real joy has come. And can I tell you better news than that? Joy's coming. coming. Joy has come, and joy is coming. Here's what I want to do. I want to look at the scripture this morning a little bit. We're going to look at chapter 12. I want to highlight a couple things to you here before we get into it in depth. First thing I want you to see is is this, that in verse 1 and then in verse 4 the prophet Isaiah outlines what the redeemed of the Lord will sing in response to the coming of the Messiah. So in verse 1 and in verse 4, Isaiah is saying, hey, you're going to sing a song, and here's basically the lyrics. And I'd also like to point out this. I'd like to point out that in Isaiah 11 and 12, we have the themes of the first three weeks of Advent. We're not just making this stuff up. Right? Let's put up 11.1. 11.1 says this. Out of the stump of David's family will grow a shoot. Yes, a new branch bearing fruit from the old root. What is that a picture of? Advent hope. Right? There's a reason the first week of Advent is hope. And then it moves on in verse 6. In that day the wolf and the lamb will live together. The leopard will lie down with the baby goat. The calf and the yearling will be safe with the lion, and a little child will lead them all. What is this a picture of? Advent peace. That's, there's a reason that the second week of Advent is the peace week. And then finally, by the time we get to chapter 12, what we read this morning, what we have is Advent joy and singing. See, there's a sense in which, there's a sense in which we live in this song that Isaiah is outlining for us. There's a sense in which we live in it. Isaiah wrote this hundreds and hundreds of years ago. And so because he wrote it hundreds and hundreds of years ago, he actually wrote it hundreds of years before Jesus came. So this is, this is the hope of the people of God. Isaiah is prophesying to the hope of the people of God. Jesus comes, and by the way, he has come. And because he has come, there is a sense in which we are now currently living inside of this song. So the things that generations of people look forward to, you and I are living in it now. Right? But there's also a sense in which there's a day coming when we're going to live in this song in an even greater way. Jesus has come. The truth is, the heir to David's throne has appeared. And he is a banner of salvation to all the world. That's chapter 11, verse 10. But how many of you also know that the wolf has not yet laid down with the lamb, and the leopard has not yet found a bed next to the baby goat. Do we acknowledge that? So on the one hand, Jesus has come. On the one hand, our joy is here. But then on the other hand, the wolf has not yet laid down with the baby lamb, and the leopard has not laid down with the little goat. So on the one hand, our hope is here, and on the other hand, we're still in need. On the one hand... Peace has come. And then on the other hand, we're still vulnerable and exposed. On the one hand, joy has come. And then on the other hand, we're still acquainted with grief. Here in the vineyard, we call that the now and the not yet of the kingdom. The now and the not yet of the kingdom. Anybody in here ever feel like a crazy Christian? You ever feel like you're pulled in two directions at one time? That's why. Because God's kingdom is now. And it's not yet. Joy is here. There's a lot of joy coming. Not all the joy has showed up just yet. There's a big dose that's on its way. Peace, totally here. The peace of God is yet coming. The goodness of God, totally here. The goodness of God, still yet to come. And you can never divorce those two. You can never divorce those two. If you live only in, well, God's kingdom has come, and you ignore the not yet of it, you are on a crash course for being a depressed and cynical person. Because you have nothing in your theology for suffering and when things don't work out. And if you only live in the not yet, that everything of God's, God's kingdom is in the future and it's in heaven and you have to die and it's in another place and another time, then you could possibly live 80, 85, 90 years and miss a huge chunk of the joy that God put into the system does that make sense so what do we do what do you and i do with a passage like isaiah 12 where the prophet is saying you gotta sing what do you do with a topic like advent joy when we're living between the times of a kingdom that is now and not yet well let me frame it for you like this let me ask you a a few questions when do the players of the music learn their parts Or, how about this one? When do the singers learn the lyrics to the song? Or, when does the chef taste his dinner? When does a winemaker drink her vintage? When does an engineer cross the bridge? And, when does a novelist read her manuscript? The answer to every one of those questions is early. You read them early. You read the manuscript early. The engineer is the first one to cross the bridge. The winemaker drinks the vintage before it's ever bottled. The chef tastes, tastes his dinner before he serves it. The singers learn the lyrics before they show up to the gig. And the musicians learn their parts a day or two in advance. See, here's the thing. People, you and I are ambassadors of a coming kingdom. We're the early signs. We're the first leaves that are bursting forth on the dogwood of heaven. We are citizens of heaven living in a land of death. That's what Eugene Peterson says. And so what do we do? Well, we sing right now. That's what we do. We sing right now. And to sing right now is not disingenuous. In fact, it's filled with integrity. It's filled with integrity. You can sing a song of joy in the land of sorrow and it could be the most integrous thing that you do. It's not, it, it doesn't mean you're living in denial. Let me talk to you about singing for a minute. Because that's what Isaiah asks us to do. In response to the coming of the Messiah. He asks us to sing. Here's the reason why he asks us to sing. He does so because singing is always a sign of the more. It's always, it's always an expression of the more. How many of you realize that when words are not enough, you shout, and when you can't shout anymore, you sing? This is why all the world's great songs are about love found and love lost, right? Because there's something emotional that sits inside of love found and love lost that is always bigger than words. When you fall in love, when you fall in love, especially for the first time, when you fall in love or when you fall in love with your, with your one and only, you will tell all of your friends you will annoy them. Eventually, eventually, there's something, there's something inside of love that becomes so resident that you can't even say it anymore. How many of you have ever shouted stuff because you're in love? Right? And then eventually, eventually, if you're like an awake person, you start singing. How many of you have ever fallen in love and you found yourself, you're just like driving down the road and you're just singing songs? And it may not even be about love. You're just—you've got this resident joy and happiness in you, and it causes a song to burst forth. Do you know what I'm talking about? This is what the singing is about. Singing is always a sign of the more. It's when shouting isn't enough. See, and we have to come to know—we have to come to know God in the more category. Here's, here's the truth. It's one of the questions that everybody in this room needs to ask themselves and begin to deal with what have you come to know about god that sits in the more category what part of salvation what sal- part of salvation are you in touch with that sits inside of the more category cuz here's the thing church if a church refuses to sing and i'm not speaking metaphorically here i'm talking about in actuality if a church refuses to sing if the song of a church the big sea church or little sea church gets dampened even the slightest spit. If, if we become quiet or if we begin to lose our song at all, what it really means is, is that we've lost touch. We've lost touch with the reality of what God has done for us. It doesn't mean we've lost our salvation. That's ridiculous. But it does mean that we've lost touch with what God has done for us. How many of you remember what God did for you? Like, is it resident within you? How many of you remember the day that you met the Lord? Like, you, like, you remember it? Do you remember it? Do you remember what happened? Now, I grew up in a Christian home, like a lot of people here. Um, but I didn't really, I never really had the, you know, the, the, the standard Southern Baptist uh, prayer prayer moment. I didn't have that. Um, by the way, having the standard Southern Baptist prayer prayer moment, that's a really good thing. I believe in it. But I also believe that it doesn't have to happen that way. Uh, Jesus talks about being born again. And how many of you understand that when you were born, you didn't know it? Does anybody here remember being born? No, the answer is no, you don't. A a lot of people enter into God's kingdom. A lot of people, you can get born again and not remember when or how it exactly happened in one moment. Some people get saved and it's a season. You know what I'm talking about? It's a season, right? Anyway, that was sort of me. I just grew up in a Christian home. My mom loved Jesus. My dad loved Jesus. We raised in a fairly stable home. And we just sort of like, if you didn't know the Lord in our house, then you weren't listening, right? Some of you grew up like that. But I do remember this. I remember when I was about 13, I was about 13 and the pastor came over to our house and he sat at our kitchen table with me and my one and only sister, Amanda, and he read to us a passage out of the gospels. He read to us about Jesus on the cross. I already knew Jesus. I knew this story, right? Like I totally know the story. Not only did I know the story, I believe in the story. Not only did I believe in the story, I was banking my life on the story. Like he wasn't sharing anything new with me, right? But something happened that day. It was the weirdest thing. For the very first time, when I was 13 and the pastor came over and he sat at my kitchen table and he read me a a passage out of the Gospels about Jesus on the cross, I became aware that I needed Jesus. There was was something that was unlocked. It wasn't as though I was outside of God's kingdom before and now I was in. It was just an awareness flooded my soul to the degree and I became so profoundly awake and aware that God had done something for me and I had to live my life in praise forevermore. I started crying. I lost it. Right This morning, first service, I cried like a baby when I was telling this story. Right, It's still very resident within me. Do you remember what God did for you? Some of y'all were train wrecks. Right? Some of y'all were like train wrecks. I was talking to somebody from the vineyard, this church, a couple weeks ago. And their their, their coming to Jesus story is profound. 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 Without going into it because I don't really have permission to share the story. I forgot to ask them. I'll just say this. They met Jesus. They met Jesus. They got baptized and at their baptism everything changed. Is that true for anybody in here? Do you remember? Do we we have to stay connected to what God has done for us? Why? Cuz that's where the song is. We have to stay connected. That's where the song is. That's where the song is. So, here's why we sing. From the scripture this morning, from Isaiah chapter 12, I want to give us three things real quick right out of the text. Verses 1 and 2. Church, here's why we sing. Number 1, we sing because God has become our consolation. Let's read this. I'll praise you, O Lord. You were angry with me, but not anymore. Now you comfort me. Why do we sing? Because God has become our comfort, He has become our consolation. This is so important because the, the idea that God is angry is not uncommon. What's even sadder is this, that the idea that God is angry is actually not just common in the world, it's common among Christians. It's the idea that God is mostly a punitive, insecure dictator. Anybody ever grow up with the punitive, insecure dictator God? I did. For a long time. The videotape in my head was that God was was mostly looking to shove a piano out of heaven. And that when when he hit someone, he was happy about it. Or that God lived in heaven, he has a giant magnifying glass, and he roasts us like ants. You know, just, <laughs> you know. And, and, of course, God was kind, but, but his kindness was the exception rather than the rule. If I can say it that way. God's mostly, like, really, really ticked, you know. And then if we just want to make it Trinitarian, it sort of worked like this. I don't know about you guys, but this is how it was when I was growing up. Like, uh, God the Father is really ticked. Jesus is the nice guy and the Holy Spirit's a weirdo, right? Yeah, some of y'all know what I'm talking about. And I just want to say that those pictures of God are, they're ridiculous. They're ridiculous and they're not, in fact, the truth. Nothing could be further from the truth. And, and, and here's the thing. This is why Jesus came. Jesus came to show us that God is, in fact, not a punitive, insecure dictator, that is not who God is. If you have a picture of God being an angry, punitive, insecure dictator who's going to throw a bunch of people in hell and be happy about it, then we have the wrong picture of God. It's not him. Jesus came to, to deliver us from that image. And it's why that Jesus came. And I just want to frame this really quickly inside the story of God. Because sometimes we just we just do the math like this. Like Jesus is, Jesus is, you know he's an expression of God's love and we just sort of cut it off there and we we divorce it from the story of God. And when we divorce it from the story of God, we actually, we dilute some of the power. So we have to go, we have to do the whole story of God thing. Remember Abraham? Abraham, he's just a goat herder. Goat herder from Ur, right? And God comes to him and says, Abraham, why don't you look up? See if you can count all those stars because that's how big your family's going to be. Now, of course, Abraham's like 80 and his wife's like 80 and they have no kids. Anyway, they eventually have the right son, Isaac. Isaac has a couple kids, Esau and Jacob. But the promise is with Jacob. And Jacob has a bunch of sons. He has 12 in particular, right? Y'all know the story. And God has made all these promises to a family. Why is God making a promise to a family? Because God's dream is a family. God's, God's dream is not an institution. God's dream is a family. And so he's made all these promises and he's basically said to the family on the earth, he's basically said, hey, listen, if you'll follow me, if you'll just listen to me, I'm going to love you. I'm never going to give up on you. I'm going to make you great. We're going to have a huge family. And then the sad story of scripture is this, that his family let him down every time. Family let him down every time. And so if we look at just the huge arc of scripture, we see that, that Israel becomes a family, and then for a lot of crazy reasons, they end up in Egypt, which at once was salvation, but then not long after that becomes a land of oppression and prison, and they're in Egypt, and then God breaks them out of Egypt, and they have this really like this golden age, and in the height of, of Israel's history is, is King David, right? And then to a lesser extent, Solomon but then but then not long after that not long after that they end up back in captivity only this time it's with babylon this is where these prophecies are coming from and so they're they're on the outs again but god's promise to his his people has never changed and so finally god realizes that there's only one thing to do and there's only one thing to do that he's going to have to show up himself and so god comes out of heaven and he comes in the person of Jesus to make things right. This is an expression of God's love. How do we know it's an expression of God's love? Here's why. We know it because God did not come as a war general to conquer people. When Israel had done everything wrong, when they were utterly lost, when they had been, when they had been oppressed not only by the Egyptians and the Babylonians and then at the time of Jesus, the Romans, when God comes, he doesn't come as a war general. To kick butt and take names. See some of us think what we need is a world a war general. To kick butt, take names. Let people know who's boss. It's not who God is. God did not come as an attorney seeking a conviction. And God did not come as an accountant needing a payment. Rather he came as a tender little baby. And Here's the genius of that. The genius is this. God comes as a baby. And if you come as a baby, you have to be loved in order to survive. God shows up as a tiny little baby. And the baby has to be loved in order to survive. What if, what if, what if Jesus' parents weren't good parents? Furthermore, what kind of a wacko doesn't love a baby? I mean, I know there are some wackos who don't love babies. I know they exist, but can we all agree that they're the exception rather than the rule? Right? So God doesn't come as a war horse, he doesn't come as an accountant. He doesn't come as an attorney. He comes as a little baby. And and, and a baby has to be loved in order to survive. And because of that, God was tricking us into his love. He was tricking us into his arms. God is the greatest Trojan horse there is in the universe. In the person of Jesus. As a tender little baby, he was tricking us into love because that was his plan from the very, very beginning. Listen, y'all, I got four kids. I love them. And you know what? No one had to tell me to love them no one i didn't have to read a book about how to love your kids it's just resident as soon as they came out see god is not angry god is jesus god is not angry he is jesus this is this is why he's this is why we sing god has become our consolation here's the second reason why we sing we sing because we sing because we have drank deeply from the fountain of salvation Verse 3. Let's put that up. With joy, you'll drink deeply from the fountain of salvation. Why do you drink? Why do you drink anything? It's not a trick question. Because you're thirsty. See, on a natural level, every single day, if you don't drink quite a bit, you'll be dead before you know it. But then on a spiritual level, everybody in this room has thirsts in their heart. Some of them are really good. Some of the thirsts that we have in our heart are really bad. But the good news is this. The Bible declares that we can be satisfied. It's the reason that we sing. We come to the fountains of salvation to have our souls quenched. To have the thirst that that is so resident within the human heart. To have it satisfied. Let me just just talk about thirst. And let me talk about hunger. And let me talk about appetite for for a moment. Especially the appetites of the heart. You cannot manage. And you cannot control appetite. You cannot make it go away. Some of us. We have all kinds of appetites in this room. Some of them are beneficial. Some of them are quite destructive. Uh, Destructive appetites. You cannot make them go away. We're hungry creatures. The only thing you can do, the only thing you can do with the appetites of the heart is to direct them to God. That's the only thing. And one of the things we have to realize is that the the appetites and the thirsts and the hungers of our heart, they're actually, they're little breadcrumbs that, that, that if we look at them through the eyes of grace, that can be leading elements that get us to come back to God. So even in your brokenness, even in the things that are most destructive in your life, if you'll turn to God, you'll realize that really all you're doing is you're, you, you have an ache for God. It's been, it's been misnamed. It's, it's been misappropriated. It's been mislabeled. But it's really an appetite for God. Everyone who's addicted to pornography is looking for God. Everyone who's addicted to popping pills is looking for Jesus. Everyone who's gone from one ridiculous relationship to the next looking for God. Everyone who's an alcoholic trying to find Jesus. You might not name it that, but that's the truth. And the good news for this church is that we can drink from the wells of salvation. And the wells of salvation are Jesus himself. Whatever, whatever is in your life that is killing you, eating disorder, popping pills pornography, you name it. Whatever is killing you, whatever appetite is stringing you out, here's what you've got to know. You're, you're looking for Jesus. Y- you've got to run to Him. And here's the thing. No matter what you've done with that appetite up to this point, no matter how poorly you've manifested that thirst or that hunger, He will not turn you away. The Bible says in the Gospels this, that a bruised reed He will not break, and a smoldering wick He will not snuff out. Like you can be at the end and he will not snuff you out. You can be so bruised that he could flick you over and you'd be utterly broken and he will not do it. See, God is not angry. God is Jesus. Third thing. Third reason we sing. Because everything that's thrilling has to be shared. Let's look at the last few verses here. Nope. Nope. Yes, thank you technology. In that wonderful day, you will sing. Thank the Lord. Praise his name. Look at this. Tell the nations what he's done. Let them know how mighty he is. Sing to the Lord, for he has done wonderful things. Make known his praise around the world. Where's the joy in life? Where's the joy in life? Here's what I found. The joy in life is in sharing. The joy in life is always, always, always In the sharing. Here's what I found. There is a joy that's inside of Jesus. Being wrapped in the arms of the Father, coming to know the saving work of Christ in a personal way, there is joy in that. But it's a joy that compels us to share it, and there's something about the sharing that actually amplifies and magnifies the joy. Have you ever noticed that? I'll just frame it like this for you. Um, Many of you in here know that I'm a wine guy. I'm not a little bit of a wine guy. I'm a total wine guy. That's my hobby. I love it. And I don't just love some things about wine. I love everything about wine. I love the way it smells. I love the way it tastes. I love how uh, a Cabernet Sauvignon from Bordeaux is one thing. And I love how a Cabernet Sauvignon from Napa Valley is similar, but it's totally different. I love how a Cabernet Sauvignon that is grown in Chile is similar, but also distinctive from Napa and Bordeaux. I love that. I love how wine always has a sense of place. It always, always, always carries with it the fingerprints of the person who made it and the land that it was grown in. I think, that's, I think it's a picture of God's kingdom. But here's what we've discovered in our family. We have discovered that great wines are incredible when we're together that in the sharing, a great bottle of wine, it actually gets amplified, it gets magnified, and the joy that's in that bottle, it actually gets turned up by sharing it around the table with people that you love. Here's what we've also noticed. Wine is no fun alone. Um, it's been several, several years ago, though I could tell this story almost at any point. It's been several years ago, we were at home with our family and um, quite, quite a few of us, actually. And we opened a rather nice bottle of wine. It was a good one. And everyone around the table agreed that it was one of the better that we had opened that year. And it was just one of those nights where there's a lot of laughter and a lot of sharing. And, you know, just those perfect family moments. You know what I'm talking about? Some of us know. Even in good families, they're not always happening, right? It was just like everything is perfect. The universe is aligned. I don't know what's happening right now. But everything is perfect. And we opened this bottle of wine, and it just, it's just the perfect thing, right? Well, anyway, I went out and found another one of those bottles because it was just so good. It was a surprise. I knew it would be good, but we were sort of shocked by how good it would be. So I went out and found another bottle like that. And I bought a couple of them, and I brought them home. And Heather and the kids went to see her grandmother who lives in Ohio. And I was home alone. And it was a big Sunday night football game. And I thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm gonna have some popcorn. I'm gonna have some cheese. I'm gonna have some like cured meats. Like that's my love language, by the way. Like cured meats, cheeses, and wine. I'm just gonna. I'm gonna open this bottle of wine. It's gonna be incredible because I had it and it's incredible. And I want to. And no one's here. And it's like the house is quiet. And I'm just. I'm just. Even beforehand, I'm beginning to savor this moment. Right. And I get, I, get, I get the football game on, and I have all my snacks on the couch next to me, and I have the remote, and I, and I open the bottle of wine, and I pour it, and I take a taste, and instantly I'm bummed. Instantly I'm bummed. It just wasn't as good as it was before. I even began to think, man, I wonder if I got a bad bottle, which that happens sometimes. I wonder if I got a bad bottle. I'd smell it, taste it. No, it's not a bad bottle. What's the deal? starting to scratch my head, right? Well, here's the deal. Wine's just no fun alone. Church, that's the deal. Where's the good life at? The good life is in the sharing. The good life is in the sharing. And here's the temptation. The temptation is this. It's the the temptation that we often believe that joy is an off-ramp to sharing. And by the way, joy is often an off-ramp to sharing. When you get the joy, a lot of times you begin sharing. But what we oftentimes miss is this. That sharing is also an on-ramp to joy. Sharing is also an on-ramp to joy. Like You want to have a joy-filled life? Here it is. Let's just sing it. Begin to share the good news of who Jesus is, what He's done. Begin to share everything that God has done for you. Everything that He's done for you is a gift you can give away. Amen? Amen. Hey, if you're on the ministry team this morning, come on up. I'll stand up. I'm going to pray real quick and we'll transition this to ministry and whatnot. Yeah, we have a couple ministry teams here this morning. After I pray, if you are sick in your body and you you need prayer, we want you to come up. If you are, gosh, if you just need to respond to the message this morning, if you are needing God to be your consolation this morning. You come on up. We want to pray for you. It is here and is available. Why don't we do this? Why don't we just hold our hands out like this and let's just wait on God for a moment. God, we just wait on you. Thank you again for stopping by the podcast at the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you'd like to keep up with what's happening here at the Vineyard, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Until next time, peace to you.